Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frizz Breeze with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Randy? I am doing fabulous. And you know, we always are super psyched when we start a new journey with a new jammer. And today is one of those days. So why don't you let us know, what can we expect today, Jake? Oh my goodness. You know, I'm actually extra excited today because this person was one of the... Uh, early influencers on my game. He was one of the people that I looked up to and tried to emulate as a new player. Um, he is considered by many to be one of the most influential players as well as one of the best players. Um, he has 21 major titles. He's been influencing the sport for decades, including um, being on the FPA board, creating one of the first websites and huge in the European scene. Um, welcome to the call, Tom Leitner. Thank you. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here, guys. Awesome. Tommy Leitner is in the house. Tom is actually in a car right now. So, hey, Tommy, it is so awesome to have you here with us. We're honored to have you. We're going to just start this where we started with everyone, and that is, how did Frisbee come into your life? Excellent question. So, I'm the youngest of eight. I, I grew up on a house at the end of a cul-de-sac, so there was no traffic going by. So we were kind of, uh, we had an area in front of our house. We had our front yard, but we also had this sort of circular pavement area where people, um, you know, my, my older brother and a lot of friends would just throw Frisbee back and forth all day. And then I started to see that they were starting to do like restricted moves on the lake hedges behind the back. And I'm like, gosh, you know, I must have been about five years old and they, they were about eight or nine years older than me. And so I would look up to the best players. His name was Mike Steer. He could do about five different catches. And I'm like, man, if I ever learned to play Frisbee, I'd love to play like him. And so I started to learn some of the catches and, and that kind of introduced me to it. Wow. So as a five-year-old kid, you're learning to do speed flow. You're learning to do trick catches. So yeah. then how did you progress in your Frisbee career from there? It's funny because as uh, when I was about, let's see, 1979, I was 14. Uh, we as a family would drive over the hill to Santa Cruz, our drive and watch the world disc games um we'd sit in the grandstands and and watch um world disc competition uh it was really cool because it wasn't just frisbee freestyle or distance or whatever they had the world's largest sandwich every year they'd, they'd take about i don't know 30 or 40 people and walk it onto the field they had skydivers come down um, onto the field and it was just a cool event to, and then eventually that there would be also be the freestyle and and the distance and I always remember the guy throwing a two-finger distance like whoa look at that and just I was just a fan along with my family and never thinking I was going to end up doing it myself but uh, yeah so we got to see it as a spectator. Wow, that's so cool. So that's Tom Schott's event that you're talking about, the World exactly. Disc, right? Yeah. So did you see that before it went to Cabrillo Stadium, or were you seeing that when it was in Cabrillo Stadium? In Cabrillo. Wow, yeah. cool. I think we went 78, 79, and something like that. I learned to play in 81. It's funny, it's like I have these little memories, the Velasquez Brothers bit I remember, but I remember this guy brushing it for the first time. 
So I must have been even 78, the first one I went, because people weren't really brushing it. And I remember a guy brushing it. I'm like, whoa, look at that guy. He's doing moves nobody else did. did. And there's certain moves that, that I remember back there before I knew how to play, which is in- interesting. But anyway, yeah, that was kind of the introduction. Right. Wow. So you, 81 is when you kind of started getting into the actual delaying and yeah. kind of getting into moves. But 78, 79, you were seeing it at the World Disc Games. So you yeah. mentioned the Velasquez brothers. And I remember being at that World Disc Games and oh. I think 79 maybe, yeah. but seeing the Velasquez brothers do the beat it routine for the first oh. time. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God. So did you have oh, my God moments when you were seeing that Beat It routine? Do you remember that moment? Well, no, I do. I don't remember what music they were playing or anything. But I do remember thinking that these guys were probably the best. And they, I don't think they ended up winning, but they got second or something. But, they, you know, there, there was a lot of really good players. I think that maybe that year um, there was a guy doing flips and stuff like real somersault stuff. And I think it was Roger Meyer and um uh richie bartle i think who ended up winning that year and i can't believe i'm pulling this out of my brain right now but it was joey and chip won that year because i remember when we talked with chip chip was like oh yeah we won and then we got to go out in a limousine and we got to go to a santana concert or something crazy because they had won uh that particular tournament but that's a sidebar so okay so 81 is when you actually put on some nails and started learning yeah. how to delay. When was the first freestyle event that you competed in? Obviously you saw World Game. so what's the Excellent next question. iteration? Okay, so let me give you a little background about how I learned to play. So in 1981, freestyle was just absolutely taking off. Remember, I think it was 82, that was the peak in the number of participants in that Santa Barbara tournament where there was 80 teams or something. So in 81, imagine my high school, there were like seven players at my high school. I was friends with another high school. There were six players in another high school and I didn't know how to play yet. So people were tipping, they were delaying under the leg, flamingos and all that right in my high school where I was growing up and I couldn't do it. And finally, I got the nerve to ask the best player at my high school um, how to do it. And he's like, okay, what you have to do is you need silicone spray. Don't spin it on your finger. Spin it on your fingernail. And do it above your head and make little circles. I'm like, thank you. And then I practiced for two weeks. And, I, and finally, I learned it an hour a day for two weeks. <laughs> and, and then my first tournament was, well, it's interesting because I, you know, like most new players, you think, okay, we're not good enough to play. These guys are way, I, I'm not going to compete. I'm not good enough. My mom was really um, behind the idea that I should organize a club at Monte Vista High School. So we organized and created the first Frisbee club, the, the Monte Vista High uh, Flyers. We ended up uh, with the Parks and Recreation uh, Department. We organized an event that was ultimate and freestyle. We got like rival high schools to come and and all these beginning teams. And we had about, I don't know, five or six teams of freestyle. And uh, that was my first event. And uh, I, I won the event with my partner who was counter. That, that was my first tournament. It wasn't really an official tournament, but uh, yeah, that, that was uh, my first experience. So you had seven other folks that were jamming at your high school. So yeah. would we have known any of those people? Was that the Salit brothers by any chance? Were they a part they, of that? No. They were at a rival high school. Oh, and wow. they, they took me to my first party and I drank my first beer and they were my best buds. And we played, oh my God, we must have played 
literally five days a week for like the first three years that we played. We played every single moment that we had free. And uh, we did the same moves over and over and over again. But we didn't get much better, but <laughs> we love to play. So <laughs> You just kept doing that behind the back catch over and over and over. <laughs> <laughs> under the leg, under the leg. Okay, flamingo. Yeah. That's funny. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So it was really early in your career and even sounds like inspired by your mom that you became not just a player, but an organizer of play. Absolutely. I mean, she's so open-minded and forward-thinking and, uh, you know, she's like, are you going to do this? Come on. You're good at it. You're make, make it official. And we made t-shirts and everything else. And, uh, yeah, so that, she's always just been a, a rock on, on my side. Even even through the decisions where she's kind of like, you're going to Europe. Okay, I believe it. Do you have a job? No. Do you speak the language in Italian? No. Do you have a place to stay? Not really. Um, okay, I, I support you. And, of course, I ended up sleeping <laughs> under a desk. Um, Marco Roberto's father's office, I slept under a desk for the first few nights in Rome when I came here. Did you play any other sports as a kid in junior high and high school? Yeah, I mean, I played the basic sports. We had a, we had a volleyball court and a basketball court in our backyard. So I'd been playing volleyball and basketball since, you know, always older brothers or sisters. So since I could walk, probably. Um, but I never got into organized sports very much. Uh, I, f I went out for the basketball team in my high school. I was ready to play and I was I was a pretty good player. And you, this thing about like, OK, players, you got to run, you got to do it and you have to wear a cup. I'm like, what's a cup? Like, well, it's this thing. I'm like, I don't know if I, can, I don't know if I like that idea. And so I, I quit the team. And I'm like, okay, I, I want to find a sport that I can decide my own hours, my own. There's no coach telling me what to do. And I'm like, hmm, frisbee. That might be the one. So, you know what? I'm going to put all my time and effort into it for about a year or two and then see what happened. And then here we are 40 years later. I didn't stop. So now you're playing five days a week with Tim and Tom Saylet. Uh, where do you go from there? My break happened when I went to a tournament as a spectator. I met Larry Imperiali. And he's he's like, hey, you're from the Bay Area, right? Let's play together. Let's jam. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. I thought he was mocking me. I'm like, there's no way that this legend would ever play with me. So the next year went by. I went back to the same tournament again. He's like, hey, why didn't you call me? Why didn't... He's like, well, I didn't think you were serious. I thought... He's like, yes, let's play together. So at, at 20, I think at 19 or 20, I would ride my bike to his, near his neighborhood. It's about a hour, now maybe 40 minute ride. So I'd be warmed up by the time I got there. He had a one hour break in his work and we would jam. And then I'd ride my bike home and I'd do that like three times a week. And I started playing with Larry Imperiali one-on-one. -on -one. And then that's where I started to learn more, more moves. Even though our games are completely different, like the first thing that he taught me is I was doing a move and then I'd lose it and I'd just grab it. He's like, no, 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 don't grab it. Save that. And that even makes it more exciting. So next time you're in that situation, you have to learn to save it. And I never grabbed it again after that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn to save everything. And, you know, just little things that the first person who's your mentor tell you. And it's just like, gosh, he kind of changed my game at that point. Because, you know, I, I'm always trying to save it now, even today. You were saying that, oh, this legend wants to play with me. I mean, Larry was a legend back then, and now he's like uber, uber legend now. <laughs> so Larry 
kind of got you going up to the next level. So you had the Salit brothers that you're jamming with, and they were pretty accomplished as well. I mean, they got they got some game, and I think a lot of people don't know that. They never really yeah. got a chance to see how explosive yeah, yeah. they were, but powerful. They, they were they were state champion wrestlers. I mean, those guys were just cut and incredible athletes. They do I saw Tim Saylor do a double spinning barrel guide his pole. You know, he's like 19 years old or something, but just really, really um athletic, great players. And uh yeah, yeah. Even though they didn't I think their best result is when they played with Greg Hofsfeld and made it to the finals of the U.S. Open one year in La Mirada. One thing about them is that they would just go for it and maybe not the best choices to go for it. They would get killed in execution, but they were such a joy to watch because it was just this unbridled power and energy. And I'm going to just I don't care if I break my neck. I'm going for it. You know, <laughs> absolutely. So were there any other players from that time in your life that you remember? First official partner was John Medina. He was already a pretty good player. He was a couple years older than me. Uh, the first tournament we did was uh, in Sonoma, and uh, we were so nervous. Like, what's the first move? You know what? Just throw it to me and do a pancake catch. Then I'll throw it to you and do a pancake catch, and then we'll start. And that's what we did. It just, we were so nervous. And then by the end of the routine, we, we were trying to do double and triple spinning crap and whatever. Uh, but yeah, so uh, eventually we we got a, a routine together. And John Medina, very good uh, player. It's a pity he doesn't play anymore. So John Medina was your first player. So did Hal Erickson ever play a role in your development or your play? And if so, can you talk a bit about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Me and Hal, um, this is now a couple years later uh, in the mid 80s and we um we jammed together a bit i don't remember exactly i mean i think we hooked up in santa cruz a few times jammed on the beach as well by the way i'll have to tell you some details about that jam um but uh yeah we did a couple tournaments together we did the beach bowl and we won yeah we also played at santa cruz at the world disc games we crushed in the semifinals. I wish there was a video. So we're the top seed for the finals. We're both 20 years old, so it's like 1985, I think, 84. So we're the top seed for the finals, which is not a good thing because Crazy John and Chip Bell have more or less the routine of the decade right before we come on. And we're like, okay. And it was just frisbee hell from the beginning to, to end. Tell us about the jam that you said you wanted to tell us about. Oh my right God. Now. Okay. So Hal was pushing the limits of spinning, right? He was pulling off four and five spinning barrel catches, right? Consistently. Now the wind comes up. He's like, yeah, I'm going to start pushing this. I saw him do a five spinning behind the back center pull into a six spinning guidance. And at one point, I swear to God, he did do an eight spinning barrel. Eight eight i counted he's the greatest spinner ever by far and what's cool about Hal is that Hal, when he would do his spins he didn't rim the disc out very far from him he would keep it really tight close to him so yeah, it wasn't like yeah. throwing it you know three meters up in the sky and you know you can do 20 spins no he was doing those spins while it was you know still very close to his body Totally, totally. Kind of underrated player for the level that he reached because nobody videoed it. And if you ever saw it, I think there's a video of him doing a four spinning behind the back pole indoors uh, somewhere. It's it's a pity that he doesn't get the credit he deserves. Totally agree. I was lucky enough to get to play with him and see him play a little bit um, as a brand new player. 
Matt and I had a a beach jam with him two on one and he's mm -hmm. in jeans he's got no nails and he's yeah. still doing yeah. like you're talking about tons of spins and he did this yeah. one move that i just it was just so pretty he did this left hand skid oh. but then he didn't shoot it out he then would spin his body back the other way and hit the spin of his body shot the disc up into the wind it was just yeah 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 wow. yeah there's there's a video of that that randy found um in the Santa, Santa Barbara where he actually does that move. I don't know if he hits it or not, but he goes for that move. We'll put a link to that video that you just mentioned there, Tom. It's uh, Hal Erickson, uh, Mika, and I forget Mika's last name, and Bob Coleman. Bob Coleman went on to have some more success, but Mika was another one of those uh, freestyle players that was one of the best of the time. Uh, but we'll put a link to that video, and you will get to see Hal Erickson at one of his best moments and like tommy said one of the more underrated and unknowns uh in our sport because i think he got injured and he just never was able to be exposed to the masses the way he deserved to be so you were talking about your partnership with hal but i know you had an even deeper partnership with skippy jammer and so can you talk about how that partnership came about yeah, um, I asked him to play with me because we were starting to, to jam together. I'd, I'd drive up and play with Skippy and Rodney at, on the fields in uh, Sonoma because now I was becoming a good jammer. Yeah, great. Let's play at the U.S. Open. So um, I got great. Okay. It was like February, so it was about three or four months away. I'm like, excellent. So I got my ticket, blah, blah, blah. went down to the U.S. Open and um, show up. I go, okay. So like, what? Ready to play. Let's play. Um, I'm, no, I'm playing with uh, somebody else really didn't we talk about this like three months ago and uh, so there i am i don't have a partner so i play with a um a golfer his name was jack uh god what was his last name anyway um did, didn't go well so i'm going okay well you know maybe skippy and i won't, won't be partners and whatever so same summer um he ends up playing with rick castiglia and somebody else i don't remember with jj maybe during the last move, he goes for guidance and he dislocates and breaks his collarbone. And poor Skippy, he's, you know, not doing well. Two months later is the world, well, one month later is World Disc Games. I'm going to play with the Madman. Do you guys know who the Madman is from Fort Collins? Paul, Paul Clemmer? Yes, you got it. Paul Clemmer. I'm ready. I show up to the tournament and someone's, I'm like, okay, yeah, who are you playing? Paul Clemmer. Oh, didn't you hear? What? He's not coming. Oh, Jesus, here I am, another tournament. I don't have partners again. Am I going to play with Jack Stanton again? I, um, well, in the end, I walk up to Skippy. I'm like, Skippy, I know you're hurt, but my partner ain't showing up, and you bushed me at the last tournament. You got to play with me. I, don't, I just need to play. So we play, and he's just he's hardly doing anything. Uh, we just make it into the finals. We're like the last seed. And then suddenly in the finals, something clicks. And we start to just get into a zone. And I, I know you, you might have a question about one of my favorite moments in the history of my freestyle competitive career. Well, one of my favorite moments is right at the end of the routine, I don't know what's going on. I'm jamming with Skippy. This is the finals. Last move is Skippy does a body roll, and we both catch it behind our backs at the same time. So I catch this. I pull it out. I'm very calm. I look into Skippy's eyes, and Skippy's going... <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Ah, he grabs me, picks me up, hugs me. I look around. People are running. My family's running onto the field, hugging me. A couple of the judges stop judging and run up and hug us. 
I'm like, well, I guess that was a good round. So we played four minutes. We had two drops and we won. And that was the beginning of Skippy and Tommy jamming, playing together. Oh, my God. That's crazy. So <laughs> you're telling that story. At first, I'm like, the very first exposure is he boosted you. <laughs> so it's like, well, great. Uh, that's really going to be a good way to start it off. And then the next one, he's got a broken collarbone. You're like, okay, I'll take a, a broken Skippy over nothing. <laughs> and then you go out and you crush, and you don't even know you crushed. I'm thinking he's got a broken collarbone. You both do a behind the back catch and you lift your hands up like really high. And I'm thinking that his, his look in your eye, I thought you were going to say, you just broke my other collarbone or something, (laughs) but no, it was the joy in his, his eyes and his face that, wow, man, you guys had just done so well. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it was weird because I was so in the moment. I had no idea what just happened. That's you know, when you're in the zone, I guess, or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I just know that moment. I wasn't ready for that moment at all. I was like, what just happened? I don't even know right. if we played well or bad or what. So was that your first big victory? Yes. Wow. That was so fascinating to hear about Tommy's first win at World Disc Games in 1986. And that was the first of 20 more to come. Gosh, how amazing is that? Also amazing to hear how his partnership with Skippy almost got derailed right out of the gate. We know what ended up taking place in them becoming one of the most amazing pairs teams that is legendary. And we'll hear more from Tommy about that partnership and relationship in future episodes. So Jake, I know that Skippy and Tommy were big influences on you and your game. And I was just wondering if there was a story or memory that you could share about those guys. Yeah, definitely. So the story that I'll share, it was at the first Tampico tournament that I ever went to. It was my third tournament ever. And that's the first time that I met Skippy. I also met Dave Schiller and Amy Schiller and Dave Lewis and Arthur. At that, I think I'd already met Arthur, but I met all these people there. It was just amazing, like this huge experience, right? And so at Skippy's tournaments, he would do these really interesting, weird judging systems. And of course, it's my third tournament, so I just think that's normal. But anyhow, he has this rule where you can call a timeout, and then when you're on your timeout, you can call for a substitution. So you can basically bring somebody in from the bench onto your team and uh, continue playing. And so I'm like, oh my God, this is my chance to play with one of these amazing players. So I, and the teams are random. So I get drawn randomly with Mike Cloud and we're playing and I don't know how long, like the routines were 15 minutes. So I have no idea how long we were out there already. (laughs) And uh, call a timeout. I'm like looking around the field and I I know Tommy a little bit. I don't know him well, but we've jammed together a few times. I'm like, Tommy, come in. And Tommy's like, oh, no, I'm doing the music. I don't know if I can do it. And Skippy goes, pick me, pick me, pick me. So I go, Skippy, you're in. Boom. And Skippy comes out there. And then the three of us are jamming. And it's like, he's like he's playing traffic cop kind of. We're playing and he's like jake go to the right mike go to the left i'm gonna roll it across you're gonna hoop and you're gonna catch and he just like choreographs this whole thing while we're playing and so like you know i i learned a ton but it was also just an amazing experience to get to play with the skippy jammer uh, at one of my early tournaments and i felt so good after that i just felt like a superstar so it was wonderful Skippy Jammer was one of your early partners as well as one of Tommy Leitner's early partners. Yeah, that's true. I never even thought about that. He was one of my earliest partners. That's kind of cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool. 
Uh, I also want to point out that we do have a link in the show notes to the uh, routine that we mentioned in the episode and specifically the move you call out by Hal Erickson. So you should certainly check out that link and you'll see also Mika Nordman and Bob Coleman in this routine. And I highly recommend it because it really is jaw dropping and you'll see moves that are done by Hal that I haven't seen done ever besides by him. And on that note, I'll talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, Shooting the Frisbees, and live streaming freestyle frisbee. Oh, 